This episode of Two Shrinks Pod is brought to you by Calabash, an online platform full of engaging professional development. If you're in allied health and want an easy way to meet your CPD requirements, then Calabash is for you. Calabash offers hour-long talks from experts in their field on a myriad of topics. Each talk finishes with a quiz to meet the APRA criteria for active CPD. You can learn about a new treatment, brush up on diagnosis, or satisfy your curiosity, all from the comfort of your own home. Topics range from DBT to childhood anxiety to criminal minds to postnatal depression. You can pay per talk or sign up for a subscription. Two Shrinks listeners can access a talk for free using the link in the show notes, or you can go to calabash.courses forward slash psych dash company. So that's C-A-L-A-B-A-S-H dot courses forward slash P-S-Y-C-H dash company. That's Calabash for all your professional development needs. In the beginning of the history of experimental observation or any other kind of observation on scientific things, it's intuition. It's intuition. Which is really based on just experience with everyday objects that suggest reasonable explanations for things. I'm Amy Donaldson. And I'm Hunter Mulcair. And this is Two Shrinks Pod, a podcast all about psychology. On the 24th of June this year, the Dobbs decision in the United States overturned the constitutional right to abortion that had been given since the 1973 case of Roe v. Wade. Since then, abortion access in America has been rolled back, and with it, a torrent of horrific coverage and entirely predictable stories about the negative impacts of these changes including a story of a 10-year-old girl who was raped, having to travel interstate to get an abortion as they were banned in her home state of Ohio. Whilst there's been no changes or additional restrictions to abortion laws in Australia, it felt like a relevant time for us to talk about abortion, not from a medical or political lens, but a psychological one. We know there's a lot of fear surrounding abortion, and so we want to help people understand what the research says about how abortion actually impacts women. Whether they're having to make that decision, have had an abortion, or are worried about what the laws mean for them or the people they care about. Being psychologists, we want to provide some calm, cool-headed discussion and talk through information that can help people who are going through or have gone through a decision to end a pregnancy. In a lot of the discussion out there, people fall into one of two camps. Anti-abortion, promoting that abortion is harmful for all. Or pro-choice, focusing on the rights of women to access abortions, but downplaying the complexity of the process. Our discussion today will focus on what the research says in all its complexity. But before we start, we want to say up front, as psychologists and as people, we're both pro-choice. The difficult parts of abortion don't make us any less supportive of a woman's right to choose. The seriousness and complexity of this topic meant that we've taken a lot longer to prepare for this show than we normally would. We've wanted to get it right and we are going to summarise more than we usually do so we can fit more information in. The structure of this episode is that we're going to start off by talking about decision making. Then we're going to discuss for women who have had a voluntary abortion, psychological outcomes, and then also sexual functioning. Then we're going to talk about the psychological outcomes for women who have an abortion for a medical reason. And then we're going to finish up talking about the outcomes for women who have been denied or who are not able to get an abortion. Throughout this episode, we have chosen to draw solely from research rather than clinical opinion or experience. And this is because the debate about abortion is far too heated and typically lacks any kind of factual information. If you want to check out anything that we've talked about, Amy has put together a comprehensive and detailed list, it's very impressive, in the show notes if you want to look up anything that we've talked about. We'll also put in timestamps, so if you want to skip forward to a particular topic, you'll be able to look at the show notes and find where that starts. Before we start on the psychology of abortion, I'd like to provide a brief definition so we're all on the same page. Abortion is an intervention that causes the ending of a pregnancy, usually via medication or a surgical procedure. In first world countries, over 90% of abortions occur in the first trimester, so by 13 weeks. And in the past decade, medical abortions have overtaken surgical abortions in most high-income countries. Some research from the US also includes miscarriages, terming them spontaneous abortions, but we're going to just focus on abortions as a result of intervention. In Australia, a 2021 paper estimated the number of surgical abortions from the National Hospital Database from 2014 to 2018. 
and they looked at prescriptions for MS2 step from the PBS to estimate the number of medical abortions. In 2017 to 18, there were 88,287 abortions, which amounts to about 17.3 abortions per 1,000 women aged 15 to 44 years. So just under 2% of women aged 15 to 44 years had an abortion in that 2017 to 18 period. For the purposes of comparison, medical conditions with a similar incident, that's the new cases per year, a kidney disease at 1.1%, cancer 1.6%, COPD at 1.5% and schizophrenia, which is 1.5%. So facing unwanted or problematic pregnancies generally experiences crisis and the decision itself can cause considerable distress. I wanted just to talk about what factors are related to the distress about making a decision to abort. I found a quote that frames why a decision to terminate can be difficult. This is from Bracken and Cuzzle. They say, the conflict of an unwanted pregnancy represents the presence of two incompatible response tendencies to deliver or abort, balanced in strength and a function of how strong these two tendencies are, the result of a few powerful forces or of many less powerful ones that summate to being powerful. So, you know, you kind of gets it. There could be a whole lot of competing demands or beliefs or, or, or rules or, or ideas mm. that could lead to this being a difficult decision. So decision-making was looked at in an Australian study by Allenson in 96 women who were given questionnaires an average of five days before their termination and then they were followed up three months later. And they found high psychological distress during the decision-making period, so right before mm-hmm. the abortion, but negligible distress about three months later. Okay. And what they did is they asked women to rate the reasons for continuing pregnancy, but also rate reasons for aborting. Some of the examples for pro-abortion were commitment to a current lifestyle and plan goals or incapacity to cope with motherhood, poor financial status, knowledge that abortion is safe, knowing that others cope well with abortion, believing that the pregnancy has no real form yet. Mm. The pro-continue statements included things like, you know, wanting to have another child or have a child, fears of being damaged emotionally by the abortion, thinking of the pregnancy as a person already. So these researchers added up the ratings of the pro-continue and of the pro-abortion items, Mm -hmm. and then that gave a, a measure of the complexity of the decision. So if you're scoring highly on both scales... There's a tension between the two. Then... Yeah, so if you're scoring highly on both scales, then the decision is more complex than, say, mm-hmm. if you're hot, scoring highly on one scale but not highly on the other, for example. Mm-hmm. And the more complex the decision, then that was associated with a higher rate of intrusive thoughts, avoidance, and negative emotion, negative affect. They differentiated complexity from ambivalence. So they calculated ambivalence as sort of the difference between the pro-continue versus pro-abortion items, right? Mm-hmm. And that, that didn't seem to be strongly related to psychological distress. And what was interesting was that what influenced distress just prior to the abortion was different to what predicted a woman's distress three months later and seemed to be linked with just a small number of items rather than the number of overall pro-abortion mm. or pro pro-continue items. So let me just run through some of these. So women who were viewing themselves as unable to be a good mother at that time were strongly associated with distress in the decision-making period, but not later on. Mm. And so they posited that this is to do with society. You know, we stigmatize or society stigmatizes abortion and prioritizes motherhood. And so there's like, you know, if you're rejecting the role of being a mum to this pregnancy, that, that's kind of a confronting mm. thing. Like there's an there's a incongruence there. The stability of a woman's relationship influence distress in in several ways so if you're having a stable relationship as a reason for keeping the baby that was the strongest prediction of like intrusive thoughts during the decision making period but also three months later so in english like if you're in a relationship that's working or stable but you're deciding to have an abortion that could throw up dissonance about why you're choosing to do that Mm. right but instability as a reason to abort wasn't associated with distress at the decision-making period, but was at time two. So basically, it might be a less complicated decision to decide to abort mm. if you're not in a solid relationship. But then later on, without the support of a partner, a woman might be experiencing a little bit more distress. Makes sense. If that kind of makes sense. 
I've also found some research that said that the age of a woman plays a role in decision making. And, and these next findings come from a Portuguese study of 422 women who had an abortion. And they found that adolescents and adults differ in their reasons for an abortion and also whether others are involved. So they found that adolescents' families were usually aware of the reproductive decision because you know, mostly they were students, right? And they were relying financially on their mm. families and they needed support from adults. And only a minority of that group felt pressured to have an abortion, have a termination. Mm. And the reasons for aborting for this, you know, adolescent group was that, you know, they were too young, uh, that education would be too difficult to continue. And when they were pressured to abort, it was usually parents rather than partners. Mm. For the adult women, so above 18, they more frequently concealed the decision from their family which was posited to do with like stigma and shame, you know, as, as, as around making this decision. And key reasons for termination were financial reasons and a child should be wished for and this one is not. Mm. And only a minority of women, adult women, felt pressured to abort. In this case, it was reverse. It was partners were more likely to be than, than parents. So, but I think that... Makes sense. Yeah, that's like, it's more like who's around is going to be you know, who's more around is going to be mm. pre- pressuring. And if, who's if, more if, if influential if, in yeah, your... Yeah, if anyone is pressuring. Yeah. But it's sort of the, the data seemed to think that there wasn't actually that many people feeling that pressured. Okay. So what I liked about this study was that these findings spoke to importance of age as a factor into the different reasons for why a woman has an, has an abortion of an unplanned pregnancy and, and also of her behaviour and where she seeks out support. What was interesting was a sizable number of women had considered keeping the pregnancy so two out of five women mm. who had an abortion had considered continuing the pregnancy and and they, these researchers said that group of women probably needs a bit more support mm. in that decision making phase whether that's to end or to keep right and also what i thought was interesting if you compare say you know if you had your appendix out you probably would tell people or you know most people would be relatively open around mm. something like that right Half of women who had never considered continuing the pregnancy, half of that that group concealed the abortion or the decision to abort, right? Yeah. And about a third, I think, from the other group. Mm. So there's a fairly big difference there. And I think that speaks to kind of the... The shame, even if you're mm. like, if, if you're okay with making the decision, you are pro-choice. Mm. There seems to be a lot of like, mm, I don't really want people to know about this. Yeah, it's personal. It's Yeah, it's very <clears throat> personal. And, and you know, I mean, that's okay, but I think it's, mm. but I think that plays a role into shame m- and maintaining yeah. the stigma. Absolutely. Right? So, so far we've been talking about having an abortion for an unplanned pregnancy, right? There is another... Uh, another circumstance where women w- can have an abortion. So that is when they have a multi-fetal pregnancy. So like say if they've got triplets, right? To reduce the number of babies they're going to have. So you might reduce it from triplets down to twins or triplets down to a single child. Mm. And pregnancies with more than one fetus have increased perinatal and maternal morbidity and mortality. Mm. So, you know, humans are not really designed to have litters of children, no. right? So, you know, you can imagine the decision to for or against having a multi-fetal pregnancy reduction is pretty confronting for a mum, mm. for the couple, and for the obstetric team, right? Complex psychological, ethical issues, things mm. like that. You know, it's this really like I was thinking about, it, like it's the paradox between wanting a pregnancy but then also terminating, mm. right? So the factors that weigh into this for a woman is, uh, you know, a desire to minimise the medical risks of a multi-fetal pregnancy, knowledge about the economic and psychological impacts on families that multiple births have, Mm. and the stats on that are really bad. And also, like, you know, an individual's moral beliefs, right? So I found an Austrian study, not an Australian study, an Austrian (laughs) study, and they compared women pregnant with triplets who underwent a multi-fetal pregnancy reduction or those who had did not. So, so in the 10 years between 2005 and 2015, 120 women had triplet pregnancies in Austria mm-hmm. and 88% of those went on had triplets mm-hmm. and 12% had a multi-fetal pregnancy reduction. Right? They looked up these women and a third of this group 
uh, participated in the study. 30 of those who birthed triplets participated and 10 of those who had a multifetal pregnancy reduction. That's like most of the women who had the reduction mm. participated in the study and a very small number who had triplets participated and that's kind of relevant a little bit later. Mm. Of those who had a pregnancy reduction, five had twins and five had a single birth. Okay. Let me just run through some stats. Mm. Medically, triplets were born earlier. The gestational age was 31 weeks versus 37, mm. right? It's quite a large difference. Triplets spent more time in the NICU post-birth. So triplets spent an average of 34 days, so a month in the NICU versus an average of one day for the babies. It's a big difference. Yeah, big, big, big difference. N- NICUs are, can be pretty scary places mm. as well. Women who had a pregnancy reduction were older and had higher levels of education. And they also took longer to make the decision. So five days versus two days. Mm. Post-birth, the pregnancy reduction mums were more likely to be working than triplet mums. So it was 100% versus 60%. Mm-hmm. All the women in the study, regardless of what decision they made, were satisfied with the decision they made. Okay. And there was no differences in de- rates of depression. Mm. Right. For... The women who had a pregnancy reduction, all of them found it hard at the time. Mm. Of the 10 who underwent the procedure, nine described it retrospectively as distressing and one said it was terrifying. Mm. So it didn't sound like it was easy. No. Right. What, I mean, I don't want to be critical of people's study, but they, they didn't compare the experience of birth between the two groups. Huh. And, I, and I reckon that would have been a really good Right, so Yeah, it would have been interesting. It would have been interesting to say, like, you know, so was the experience of birth... You know, was that was it more traumatic for the triplets versus the non-triplet mums? Mm. But that would have been interesting. The authors did point to the very low numbers of triplet mothers in this comparison study. So, twenty-eight percent of triplet mums compared to seventy-one percent of the pregnancy reduction mums. Yeah, and they implied, or well, the implication being that the triplet mums were maybe they were the ones that were struggling didn't mm. participate. Because there's a lot of Possible. data, a lot of data on the fact that families with multiple births just you know really struggle. Yeah, just trying to keep afloat. Yeah, so I mean, just to summarise, a multi-fetus pregnancy reduction may be experienced as an acutely distressing event, but the majority of women had satisfactory psychological outcomes. Mm-hmm. So I know I've been talking for a little bit, but let me just, Amy, if it's okay, let me just run through a couple of little recommendations mm-hmm. that I found. So. You know, if you know someone who's going through this process, here are some key findings from the Australian study I mentioned at the top. Women don't benefit from being told what to do. So advice to continue a pregnancy was associated with decision-making distress. Advice to abort was associated with decreased positive affect three months later, right? Mm -hmm. So, quote, women apparently wanted to be supported in making their own decision rather than being exposed or succumbing to opinions from others, end quote. Second point. Positive role models about abortion are helpful and reduce distress. Right, so if you are, you know, genuinely worried about the well-being of women, mm. then providing them with information around the fact that women cope, right, actually decreases the distress. So they found that knowing women who had a positive experience of abortion, so knowing single mums who'd coped well, was associated with better psychological outcomes. And sort of this fear of emotional damage from the abortion was associated with intrusions. But, but in three months' time, that association wasn't there. So the, mm. the fear had reduced because people kind of go, oh, hang on. This is okay. I've coped. Yeah. So they don't, they, they go, I, I, you know, you, you might be afraid of it at the time, but then later on you're like, well, I'm not afraid of it because it didn't happen. Mm. Like I'm, I'm not actually damaged. Knowing women who had not coped with the abortion, which is by far the exception and not the rule, is associated with poor outcome so really mm. you know kind of like you've if you've been exposed to a bad scenario then it primes you primes you yeah i was gonna yeah. say a different phrase but yeah that, that's right you know and then, and then the the cycle of societal silence and condemnation around abortion sort of con- contributes that mm. you know and and the final point has these fears and concerns that women have at the time uh, fortunately, they're short-lived. Some of those fears at the time of the abortion or just prior, at three months later, they're not driving negative effect mm. and stuff like that. Yeah. So, Amy, that was decision-making. Where are you taking us? I'm going to launch into a whirlwind tour of the research around how people cope post-abortion. Mm-hmm. So, the psychological outcomes after you've had an abortion it's there's a lot of research in this area i limited it to the last 10 to 15 years Mm -hmm. to try and keep it 
recent, also to sort of funnel down what's relevant and what's applicable to right now. Mm. So the reasons that women seek abortions are multifaceted, as we've already talked about, but in the research world, they tend to split the groups into two. Mm -hmm. So there's women who have abortions for medical reasons, and then they're studied separately to the women who have abortions for all of the other reasons. Mm -hmm. So they tend to term these voluntary abortions because it's a decision that's been made based on a whole bunch of optional choices rather than you or your baby might not survive if you continue with this, which Mm. is what is usually the case with medical abortions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm going to start on the voluntary abortion side of the research. And a lot of the motivation focuses on things like not being ready to parent, uh, not being able to financially afford a child, becoming pregnant as a result of rape or not wanting to have a child. What I'd like to do is talk through how people cope following a timeline from right before they make the decision to have an abortion Mm -hmm. all the way through to years afterwards. It felt like a better way to take us through this rather than clumping it together. All right. So like a chronological. Chronological. Yeah. So often when we talk about how people cope after an event, we fail to consider what their life has been like before the event Mm. occurs. We kind of think, oh, this blank slate of a person was here and then this terrible thing happened and now this is what's happened. So none of us are like that. We're all complex and messy. And there was a study that was done on women seeking abortion in the United States that wanted to look at this by looking at the factors that impacted mental health symptoms just prior to an abortion. So after the decision had been made, but before the abortion actually Mm -hmm. occurred. They found that women who were struggling more with their mental health at this time tended to be younger. They had at least some college education. They perceived more societal stigma about abortion, so they Mm -hmm. felt like they were going to be judged. And they had more childhood adversities. So these adversities were those listed in the ACEs study, the Adverse Childhood Events Study. So it includes things like different types of abuse, parental conflict, parental substance abuse, mental health, Mm a whole bunch of things that can put pressure on you when you're a kid. In the current relationships, they found that women who had more depressive symptoms just pre-abortion were the ones who were in family violence situations. And then the ones who were more anxious and stressed had been coerced into having the abortion by their partner. So they'd been made to have it. I'm going to talk a fair bit about the Turnaway study. It comes up again and again, mainly because it's the largest study that's been done on outcomes following abortion Mm -hmm. in a very long time. So the Turnaway study is a large study that has happened in the US over a number of years. They followed three groups of women from around 30 different abortion clinics across the US. Mm -hmm. There was a group of women who presented for a first trimester abortion. The second group were women who had presented in the last couple of weeks before the gestational limit of having an abortion. So before the 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 state's law said you could have one. The third group, the turnaways, so-called, were the ones who showed up in a couple of weeks after that gestational limit. They were seeking an abortion in their second trimester for the most part and had been turned away from the clinic because they were over the cutoff point. To say if the cutoff point was 15 weeks, they turned up at 16 weeks. Exactly. Yeah. So they were able to then compare women at a a similar time frame Mm -hmm. in their pregnancy who all wanted an abortion and to be able to compare the ones who did and didn't have one. And this study followed women from just before they had an abortion to six years afterwards Mm -hmm. that we're up to now. So they found that 40% of women who had sought an abortion had symptoms of PTSD just before the abortion. Wow. Yeah, and this is both women who did and didn't go on to have one, just people looking to have one. Mm -hmm. Of those with PTSD symptoms, 30% attributed their symptoms to experiences of violence, 20% to relationship issues, and only 20% to the pregnancy itself. Mm -hmm. So there was a whole lot of other stuff going on for these women before they had an abortion. So while we know that most people seeking an abortion aren't struggling with their mental health, we also know that having to respond to an unplanned and unwanted pregnancy is exceptionally stressful. Having difficulties with your mental health can add to the pressure and then impact how you cope Mm. later. Mm. I mean, it's it's similar to the work that I have done with cancer patients, but also in the medical setting. So like, you know, if you have a a health crisis, Mm. 
and you come from a situation where you've no real history of mental health problems, you know, secure relationships, secure finances and stuff like that, you, you, your capacity to cope is generally a lot better mm. than say you've had a history of a whole lot of stuff or you've got unstable housing or all that kind of stuff. It's that old bucket analogy yeah. of like how full it is before it overflows yeah, yeah or, or like i always think about like you know if you're driving a brand new car that's got no problems and you hit you hit some you know you hit a pothole yeah versus you know uh, driving a bomb <laughs> driving a bomb <laughs> yeah yeah you know yeah. something's gonna fall off if you absolutely look, if you look at it the wrong way yeah mm. yep so immediately after having an abortion most women in this large turnaway study reported mixed emotions mm-hmm. it wasn't a simple case of I feel this one thing about what's just happened the most commonly experienced emotion was relief Mm. which was felt by almost all of the women so 90 to 96 percent of women who had had an abortion felt relief Mm. in addition they experienced significantly more relief and happiness about the abortion than about the pregnancy so they were asked about both overall 95 percent of the women felt it was the right decision and of the group of women who felt regret about the abortion, 89% of them still thought it was the right decision for them. Mm. Yeah, because yeah, you can regret doing something, but no. No, that that was the right move yeah. for you. At one week, a quarter of the group reported mainly negative emotions, a third mainly positive. Another quarter had neutral, no kind of response to it. They just felt mm-hmm. like it's okay. And then the remaining amount reported mixed emotions. Yeah. The women who were feeling more negative emotions had planned the pregnancy more. They had trouble making the decision or they had a partner who was against it or was uncertain about having an abortion. So, I mean, so that sort of speaks to either internally having a pressure, mm. that complexity. Yeah, or, or the, external. Or there's an external source for the complexity, yeah. Yeah, makes sense. But still 95% of the cohort felt that it was the right decision one week later. Mm-hmm. In addition to the mental health and social circumstances, the researchers also identified a mediating factor of stigma in poorer coping post-abortion. So researchers in Ireland wanted to understand the role of internalised stigma in distress and somatic symptoms. Mm -hmm. So internalised stigma is the ways that we internalise negative societal messages around something and begin to believe it and blame ourselves Mm -hmm. in line with this so we yep. think something's we see around us that people think something's bad and we then start to believe that yeah and apply it to ourselves yeah. and somatic symptoms for people don't know uh that's all of the physical symptoms you can get that may have a psychological cause yeah. so often yeah. it's things like headaches stomach aches things like that yeah soma means of the body yeah so. correct What they found was that if you have internalised stigma about abortion, so you believe it's bad or immoral, and then you go on to have one, you're more likely to isolate yourself from support of the people around you, which then leads to a far greater risk of psychological distress. And then that develops into somatic symptoms. So it's this sort of pathway Mm -hmm. from initially having that stigma through to being unwell mentally and having physical symptoms. Yep. By one year after seeking an abortion, all the women in the turnaway study, so both those who did and didn't have an abortion, Mm -hmm. had equal levels of anxiety. Okay, so there's no difference. No difference. And what the pattern showed was that at the start, the women who had been denied an abortion had much higher levels of anxiety. Mm -hmm. And then over time, this decreased and lined up with the group who did have an abortion. Mm -hmm. So by one year after seeking an abortion... All the women in the turnaway study, so both those who had an abortion and those who were turned away, had equal levels of anxiety. Okay. What they found was that at the start, the women who had been turned away had higher levels of anxiety. Mm. They were anxious at the point where they'd been told, no, you can't have an abortion. Yeah. But then over the course of a year, it reduced and became equal to, to the women who had had an abortion. Yeah. So they'd adapted, essentially. Mm. Yeah. A fifth of the women who were turned away in that study went on to have an abortion elsewhere where the laws were different. Mm -hmm. Similar patterns were found in Finland where they found that anxiety significantly reduced and quality of life significantly improved at three months post-abortion and then at one year post-abortion. Yeah, so that was in women who had an abortion. Yeah. 
the increase was really noticeable for those who had really high anxiety at the start. Mm-hmm. So the higher their anxiety was at the start, the more that dropped yep. over the course of a year. The women who tended to struggle more mm-hmm. had higher anxiety at the baseline when they had an abortion, had a history of being diagnosed with a psychiatric disorder, yep. or they were smokers. Yeah, right. I'm not sure I know how to take that smoker's result, but like that gets back to the, you know, if you've had problems before and then you... Mm-hmm. And then you meet a, a stressful event, then yeah, you have trouble. Exactly. So let me just pause in for a second. So what I'm hearing you say about the outcomes is that you know there's a lot of anxiety, or there might be distress at the time. Mm-hmm. And some of the the findings around trauma symptoms was that actually a small proportion of that seemed to be relating to the actual pregnancy, mm. and it's more often than it's like you know maybe they're in a bad situation or they've got a historical symptoms exactly right and then the other piece that i'm hearing you say is that there's a group you know the women who have high anxiety at the time but then they have an abortion it drops that drops yeah but also of the women who were denied an abortion they have very high anxiety Mm. but that also that also drops dropped over time yeah yeah exactly yeah so in general over time the anxiety reduces yeah which which sort of speaks to i guess people being up to i mean I'm, i'm assuming that women cope or like Mm. learn to adapt. Yeah, they get through something stressful. Yeah. So by the two and a half to three year mark, a Dutch study found that women who had an abortion and a match sample of women who hadn't had an abortion had no differences in their rates of mental health. Yeah, right. What they did find was that women who had an abortion were at slightly increased risk of having a previous mental health diagnosis recur. So come mm-hmm. back again, more so than the, the group who hadn't had an abortion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But by five to six years, this had equaled out as well. Yeah, and right. so both groups were equally likely to have a mental health condition or have an old one come Pop back. Up. Yeah, right. Yeah. Similar results in the Turnaway study where there were no differences in anxiety, depression, self-esteem, life satisfaction or suicidality in the five years post seeking an abortion, whether you'd had one or not. Mm-hmm. So we, that, that sort of says... You know, five years is a long time. Like, mm. so just a comparison, five years is what they typically rate cancer survival at, mm. right? So, like, if you haven't had cancer, come back after five years, then you typically considered to have been cured. Mm. So, yeah, so at five years in this situation, women who've had an abortion versus women who hadn't, no difference mm. yeah, in terms of those all those important psychological exactly. Things, yeah. So, if you're listening to this and you're worrying about having an abortion, how are you going to cope? These stats would suggest uh, mm. that by and large you'll be okay. Yeah, yeah, the vast majority. Even those who struggle, it gets better over time. Yeah. It's not like what you spoke about, about how some people are worried that they'll be emotionally damaged mm. after it. It's It might be stressful, but then there's recovery. Yeah. There's improvement. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, clinically, like if you think about you know, people who experience stressful situations could be anything, right? Could be, you know, family members unwell or, you know, you've got a bad exam coming up or, you know, a relationship breakup or something. One of the things that people worry about is, am I going to cope? And one of the ways in which you as a psychologist can work with somebody is like, we can't reassure somebody that things are going to be okay. No. Right? Because we don't actually know that. Right? And if we say that, people, you know, they often want us to say that, but... Mm. We can't, we don't predict the future. We can't do that. But we can look at the way they've coped in the past and you mm. say, well, you've actually coped with a lot of stuff. So maybe you're underestimating your ability to cope. Maybe you can get through this as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, you know, the evidence would suggest that you probably, that, that you will, mm. right? And and that can be relieving for people. And yeah. This data would support, know, suggest, that. support that. Yeah. One of the things that I noticed when I was, when we were looking at what was happening online in the lead up to recording this was that there was a fair amount of people commenting that you know, women who had had abortions might not cope when they had a baby afterwards. You know, the people who were concerned about how women might cope were going, well, it might be okay now, but not down the track when they have a baby, mm. that that will be a struggle. And so I found another study mm-hmm. that looked at first-time mums and asked them about how they were going during their routine pregnancy checkups and looked at... The, at comparing the ones who had previously had an abortion to ones who hadn't. So there was another Finnish study mm-hmm. and 10% of first-time mums in their study had had an abortion previously 
And then, so then they compared those ones to the ones who hadn't. What they found was that there were no significant differences Mm -hmm. in rates of anxiety, social anxiety, depression, loneliness, relationship satisfaction, or family functioning during pregnancy Mm. for first-time mums. And I feel like that's a bit of a comfort as well for the women who go on to have children Mm. and decide that they want to, that actually it's not like you're at greater risk of the pregnancy being difficult Mm. just because you've had an abortion previously. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I do... I do wonder whether uh, whether those questionnaires would pick up some of the subtlety. You know, like I mm. do think it would make sense for someone to have had an abortion and they have a baby and they they might experience some, uh, like a little bit of, ne- you know, mm. some negative affect around it. But what that finding says that it's not, if, if, it's not if, significant. If, that's, if that's occurring and that's an if, yeah. um, it's, not, it's not happening on a level that is intense. No, yeah. no, exactly. Yeah. So the results that we've found in the recent research aligns with the last comprehensive review that was done on this by the American Psychological Society in 2008. And so they found the same thing, that at that point, rates of mental health problems in women who had had a first trimester abortion were comparable to the general population. Mm. So it seems like it hasn't, the research hasn't changed over time. Yeah, It's, it's, it's been pretty steady. steady. And they made the point that while some people experience grief, loss and sadness and that there are some people who it stirs up clinical issues for them like PTSD or depression, a very small proportion, that overall there's no evidence to support the claim that abortions and mental health diagnoses are, are linked. Mm. Um, And as well, like we've spoken about, that a lot of the factors that are related to difficulty coping after an abortion are related to risk of mental health conditions in general or difficulty coping with other things. Well, and but also stigma and shame and guilt. Absolutely. So so that, you know, that those are the driving, like what we call the perpetuating factors, right? Mm. Which is that, you know, if you're in an environment where it's stigmatized a lot, women are made to feel guilty about it then that actually drives the mental health problem, yeah. not and you can the see, procedure itself. Yeah, and you can see how it flows out to other things as well, like yeah. feeling less supported, perhaps not being able to tell people and mm. have that support, all of those and things. Then, and then if you're feeling, yeah, and, and you yeah. could imagine that if you're then not uh, feeling supported, not able to talk about the thing that you're feeling bad about, then that could actually make it worse. Exactly. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. So what's important is that, there's complexity and diversity. We can't categorically say that all women who have an abortion are going to respond in this way. It's We can't apply a broad strokes brush. We can say, in general, most people cope mm. and also acknowledge that for some people this is difficult. I mean, I think, I think the data shows that it's difficult at the time, mm. but then the data shows that by and large that is not a lasting effect. Mm, exactly. So, yeah. So pulling it all together, what we see is that most women who have abortions find it emotionally complex, but they get through it okay. Mm. For a minority, coping with an abortion is difficult. The women who tend to struggle are those with a trauma history, who have existing mental health issues, or who have current family violence. We also see the evidence of that internalized stigma and isolation playing a part in how people emotionally respond to abortion over time. The hope lies in the fact that for most, this decreases back to their baseline as the years progress. The scientist practitioner in me also feels like it guides people in services what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, if we know that people with these issues are more likely to have trouble coping, yeah. then we can provide support yeah. to them to make sure that it's easier. Yeah, I mean, that's a standard health psychology thing. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Highlight the people who might need some extra help and provide it there. Yeah. Give it to them. Yeah. So, should we take a break? Sounds good to me. Yeah, we'll be back after a quick break. But as we try to widen and make more consistent our description of what we see, as it gets wider and wider and we see a greater range of phenomena, the explanations become what we call laws instead of simple explanations. So, uh, Amy and I just wanted to take a quick break and pause and just say thanks for uh, listening to this episode we've been very keen to get this episode done and uh, do it properly and if you want to know a bit more about amy and i you can check out our website twostringspod.com where it's got all our past episodes we'll say back issues it's just <laughs> 
Um, We're not publishing as well. No, God, no. And if you want to contact us with episode ideas or feedback or anything like that, you can contact us at twoshrinkspod at gmail.com or via Twitter, twoshrinkspod. We do we do read all the messages, even if we don't always get back to them um, quickly, because we, I mean, I do lead fairly busy clinical lives, mm. but we uh, are very keen to keep on doing this stuff. Okay, let's get back to it. So we've been talking about psychological outcomes, maybe. One of the things that in all the years of my health psychology training, and I'm involved in training psychologists at the moment, is to teach people to think about the body as well as just the mind, Mm -hmm. the psychologist, because often we get a little bit uh, focused on just that. And one of the areas that came up that had been researched was sexual functioning after abortion because sex is linked so closely with abortion and all that kind of stuff you could imagine that going through that process and or even just getting pregnant Mm. i think could change sexual functioning and like immediately i'm thinking of that movie juno yeah where she uh, juno the character she's a teenager she gets pregnant and then she goes to an abortion clinic and she's sussing out whether, she, whether she's going to have an abortion or not. And woman at the counter gives her, you know, offers her some um, condoms, right? Mm. And Juno's like, no, I'm off sex. Yeah. <laughs> right? And I think that that was a really good way of sort of thinking about like, you know, if you're going through something like this, then your sexual functioning Probably may change. Your priority at that yeah. time. Yeah. You know, there's gonna, there may be some negative associations with it. And, you know, having an abortion can also impact negatively on, you know, your relationships, Mm -hmm. right? Particularly with your partner. So there are estimates that like 20% of women experience negative effects on their marital relationship, psychological sphere, and also sexual function, where 20% have loss of libido for about two or three months after the abortion. Mm -hmm. And and about a third have orgasms less frequently than the pre-abortion period. I looked at an Italian study that had 170 women just prior to an abortion and then they looked at that group of women six months later the data showed that having an abortion did impact on female sexual function Mm -hmm. but that sexual function did actually improve over time so a bit similar to the Mm, psychological um, psychological stuff so they used a sexual function questionnaire which measures things like uh, sexual desire arousal lubrication orgasm satisfaction and pain Mm These were the lowest just prior to the abortion and they had increased six months later. What was kind of curious was that at both time points, the mean score on that questionnaire was actually in the range indicating sexual dysfunction. So Mm. if you scored above or below a particular range, then that would indicate sexual dysfunction. And then two-thirds of women who had sexual dysfunction at time one Mm -hmm. had it at time two. So it was like, if you had it at time one, you were more likely to be having it at time two. Or you were likely to be having it at time too. Mm. They found an age difference. So basically that younger women reported less sexual dysfunction than older women, but that the younger women's sexual function improved at a slower rate okay. than, than the older women. So the older women, so it looked like on, they graphed and it looked like it converged, mm. right? So they all kind of ended up in about the same point. Yeah. So the older women's sexual function improved faster than the younger women. But they also ended up around the same point. They didn't really have a good explanation for why the, mm. those age differences were there. They also measured anxiety and depression symptoms. They, they found, like what you were talking about, those improved over time. Mm. So, in, And that there is a relationship between the improvement in depression and the improvement in sexual function. I mean, makes it, sense. It, yeah, which makes sense. I mean, and if you think about a Beck depression inventory, mm. one of the questionnaires, one of the questions on that is, you know, your interest in sex. Yeah. When people are depressed, their interest in sex is, is low. It's low, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and they found that, you know, the improvement in depression scores positively impacted mm. on the sexual life of women. They suggested that, that, you know, an unplanned or poorly timed pregnancy should be considered a stressor mm-hmm. as an abortion may impact on the sexual function of a woman. But they also pointed out that an unplanned or poorly timed pregnancy can contribute to the development of postnatal major depression, yeah. generalized anxiety disorder, and parenting stress. So mm. for women who, who don't who who don't have a termination yeah. and actually have a baby. So there's risks for both. Yeah. Essentially. So that was sexual functioning. 
What I wanted to talk about also was having an abortion for a medical reason, mm. right? So prior to this, we've been talking about like unplanned pregnancy, poorly timed pregnancy, having a voluntary abortion. This is for a group of studies that looked at women who have an abortion, have a termination because there's a risk to the mother, mm-hmm. right? Or there's like a fetal abnormality, right? And so there's a decision made to have a, a termination. And in this research paints a slightly different picture. There seems to be more distress and more grief mm. and poorer mental health outcomes for women who end a pregnancy for, for purely medical reasons. I found a Portuguese study of 41 couples, and, and in that, about a third of the sample, so both men and women, had clinically significant trauma symptoms post-termination. And in 12% of the entire sample, both partners in the couple had clinically significant trauma symptoms and I think about that as this is a group of people who were not considering stopping the pregnancy, mm. right? And then they're stopping it, yeah, right? Which is a different kettle of fish to um, being ambivalent about it or mm. not wanting to have it, yeah, right? And so therefore, it would make sense that the the psychological response is different. Absolutely, yeah, right. Women who reported self blame in response to the termination were more likely to have difficulty coping, Mm. right? They also found that those who reported denial and self-blame were more likely to experience despair around the loss. So when people are avoidant or denying, that means they're pushing away their emotion, Mm. which is a good short-term strategy, but a bad long-term strategy. Because unfortunately it doesn't go away. No, and so and so it perpetuates the distress and you don't adapt to it, right? It's like that, that if you're avoiding homework... That homework doesn't go away because you're avoiding it. Yeah. And it perpetuates the yeah. idea that you can't cope with that thing. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a good way to think about it. Mm. So conversely, women who used humor were less likely to have difficulty coping because those who use more acceptance-based coping strategies were also more likely to grieve actively. So, you know, with like normative responses like, you know, crying or sadness mm. or missing the baby. And so that means you're processing essentially it's painful yeah no one likes doing that no right but and it's okay if you do not want to do that Mm. but those things help move things yeah move things forward right same research team found that guilt felt by women predicted the intensity of trauma symptoms and subsequently the intensity of their grief symptoms and overall like just over half of women who'd had a termination felt guilt and about a third of their male partners felt guilt Mm. right the symptoms experienced were largely consistent between partners, except that men on average experienced less guilt than, than women. Mm-hmm. And I know we said we, were, we weren't going to talk clinically, you know, clinical experience, but I think the clinical experience that I've had would be that, you know, it's a classic thing for a woman to feel like they've failed, mm. even, even if there was a, an abnormality or, or something like that. The, even though there's nothing that could be done. The, yeah, there's nothing, yeah, there's nothing that they did, Yeah, right? But they blame themselves, right? Mm. Similar results were found in a UK study. So they recruited uh, like from online support forums for women who'd had a termination due to a fetal abnormality. And they found that a significant proportion of the group, so like half, give or take, had reported clinically significant levels of grief. The women in that study reported elevated feelings of despair, difficulty coping, and complicated grief. But, but despite this, for the most part, women in this study use adaptive coping strategies, things like acceptance, emotional support, active planning, coping. I mean, mind you, if you're seeking... Mm, if you're in an online support. If you're like, you yeah. know, that's an active coping mm. mechanism. But these coping strategies are positively related to moderate, moderate levels of post-traumatic growth in areas such as like relating to others, personal strengths, appreciative life. So this post-traumatic growth is this idea of like you go through something difficult, but then you you essentially grow you, rather than it sort of freezing you like you learn to adapt and then and then you know sort of like lemon lemons into lemonade yeah is, is sort of the idea yeah well still a lemon though yeah yeah but absolutely yeah. so where are you taking us this is our last section last section yeah and i wanted to finish by talking about not just the impacts of abortion but what happens to the women who want an abortion but can't have one or Mm -hmm. aren't allowed to have one yeah because that seems like the chunk that's often missing in public discourse around it so absolutely it focuses entirely on the abortion not 
what happens to these women. Well, I mean, I think it focuses entirely on guilting yeah. the women who are wanting to have an abortion. Yeah. Absolutely. So returning back to the turnaway study again, mm-hmm. at the time of seeking an abortion, the most common emotion felt by the group that was turned away was feeling sad. They felt more angry and more regret than the women who received an abortion and they had significantly less relief and happiness. Guilt was the only negative emotion that the women in the turnaway group felt less than the women who had had abortions, Mm -hmm. which makes sense with what we've spoken about. Overall, the women in the turnaway group felt more happiness about the pregnancy than those in the abortion groups, but 62% of women who had been turned away still wanted an abortion. In the year Sorry, Sally, 62%. So yeah. two-thirds, yeah, wow. Two-thirds still wanted an abortion. And then you were saying before, like, a fifth, only a fifth managed to get... One somewhere else. Wow. Yeah. In the year after seeking an abortion, these women fared worse in a range of ways. So they had lower self-esteem and life satisfaction, less aspirational plans, and they had less chance of reaching the goals that they set. They had higher rates of family violence... And they were significantly more likely to not have enough money to cover basic living expenses. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Longer term, the study found multiple negative impacts that span economic, relational and health-related areas. So some examples include an increase in household poverty for at least four years, poorer child development. So for in so that what's, case... So what does that mean? Well, so in that case, they compared the first born children of women who had had an abortion so the next kid that they had mm-hmm. they compared them to the the women in the turnaway group had wanted to abort mm-hmm. and they found that the children of the women in the turnaway group had poorer child development they weren't meeting their milestones like physical milestones yeah wow. physical developmental yeah so that could be related to nutrition things like that yeah they were also less likely to be raising the children that they had with a partner or with any family support and they were more likely to experience life-threatening complications at childbirth. Yeah, right. Yeah. Similar negative outcomes were found in a Brazilian study of anxiety and depression in women who were in their third trimester. And so they looked at women who had wanted or attempted an abortion and compared those who hadn't wanted one or attempted. Overall, across all pregnant women in their third trimester, 43% had depression or anxiety. 43% 43% is like a, is like a high level. It's a high of, level. Of de- yeah, so all women in their third trimester. 43%. 43% had mm. depression or anxiety. And within this sample, about a third had wanted an abortion. And about 15% had attempted one themselves at home. Wow. The rates of depression and anxiety were two-thirds for those who had attempted an abortion. So much higher. When the researchers controlled for a whole bunch of other factors, demographic socio-demographic, the desire for the pregnancy, father's acceptance of the pregnancy, their history, mm-hmm. the relationship remained significant. The women who'd attempted an abortion were significantly more likely to be depressed or anxious so in these their people third trimester. Who, who weren't able to get an abortion and then tried to have one themselves? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that would make sense, right? Makes total sense. Yeah. I want to finish with a much longer-term study. I find this study fascinating as a psych nerd. Yep. It's research from the Wisconsin Longitudinal Study, which is a 60-year ongoing survey of women. Wow, 60 years. Still going, who graduated high school in 1957 in Wisconsin, who are now in their early 70s. And this study is, it's amazing. They looked at socio-demographic variables, measures about the women themselves, their partner, their family, high school performance, IQ, personality, like... Okay, we get it. Huge. Lots of stuff. Yeah. And, but then it's a relatively homogenous sample. The women are mainly white. They all finished high school married. One in five women in the cohort had at least one unwanted pregnancy and one in three had at least one unintended pregnancy. Now that they're in their 70s, the women who carried an unwanted pregnancy to term report significantly greater depressive symptoms. Wow. And that's even when you control for all of those other variables that are known to impact mental health. Hmm. So the, you know, the impact of being denied an abortion has lifelong effects. Mm, like decades and decades. Decades Versus long. say, was it five-year follow-up? Mm. But that five-year follow-up showed no difference in mood. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. right. So what do you, so let's just pause there for yeah. a sec. So just summarize that for what's the take-home message 
on the research around mm. women who were denied an abortion? What does that, what, just wrap it up for me. Overall, it says that it negatively impacts them in a, all sorts of facets of their life, mm-hmm. you know, physical, mental, social. Yeah. Yeah. And that this lasts for a really long time. And I think it points to the fact that women don't seek abortions for no reason. There's often, it's complicated and there are a whole lot of, of factors that go into it. It's not a flippant offhanded thing. And so carrying that baby to term has impacts. There's really long, lifelong impacts. And mm. then what was interesting was that the outcomes for the child yeah uh not so good either exactly yeah yeah, yeah. interesting that whole you know we don't no man is an island it it spreads out to the impact on the family as well Mm. yeah yeah i mean yeah yeah you know that that stat you said around they're not necessarily raising with a partner or Mm. much family support or stuff like that and like you know no judgment on single parents you know far from it but like that you know that it sort of speaks to that it's a much more difficult journey. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So uh, wrapping up? Yeah. So before we wrap up, we want to mention the quality and bias in the research. I found it really striking while researching this topic, the number of papers that appeared legitimate on first glance that were actually published by anti-abortion activists. Mm. Worryingly, these authors didn't declare their interests in their public published work. It would say, you know, no interest to declare, which misleads readers into believing they're reading unbiased yeah, work. Yeah, like you pointed out like a couple of times where the, there's like, it says no interest, right? But then if you Googled where yeah. the thing is, like it's a prominent anti-abortion mm. program or whatever. Yeah, or you'd see a rebuttal from researchers who followed more scientific rigor rebutting or, the or work. followed scientific Fine, Yeah. So, you know, we found these rebuttals in the literature to authors such as Reardon and Coleman, who are openly anti-abortion and produce literature that states that abortion harms women physically and psychologically. There's been methodological issues that found in both of their work, with Coleman's research not being able to be replicated even when people use the exact same data. Oh, my God, what? Yeah, yeah. So the issue to me is not only with the impact on the reliability of the field, but then also with the general public's understanding of the issue. Mm. You know, it's you often see things that say, you know, researchers found, yada, yada. There's nothing there about the quality of the researchers. But then also impact on the patients themselves. You know, as you spoke about earlier, being counselled from an anti-abortion perspective and given misinformation about the potential risks has been shown to increase distress. Mm. So if these authors actually cared about the well-being of women, they should endeavour to provide accurate research-supported information, yeah. Yeah. not things yeah. that just support their own view. Yeah, and like, you know, trying to affect change through guilt. Mm. Like, I, first of all, it doesn't really work. It's like 101 that doesn't work. Right, like, <laughs> like it's ineffective. Yeah. But then also it has all these negative consequences. Mm. I mean, if, if we could just diatribe just for a minute, if that's all right. Yeah. You know, like there's all this sort of, you know, discussion around uh, being pro-life and stuff like that. Or, you know, if they really want to stop abortions, then, you know, put funding into sexual health stuff. Mm. Right? Like, but no, they don't want to do that. They want to, you know, they want to reduce the risk of, they, they want to reduce consequence-free sex mm. is really what they want to do. Yeah. Right. And... And I was listening to an interview today with some Americans, Republicans who were involved in, in increasing restrictions. And they were, they were making these comments about like, oh, you know, we want fathers to be more involved and stuff like that. It's like, and the interviewer was pointing out, it's like, well, except that, you know, you're not doing anything. Like you're, no, to support you're, that. You're, you're, all you're doing is changing what women can do mm. and not actually making changes to men yeah right yeah if you're really if you're really wanting to provide an incentive Hmm. then make men play child support as soon as a woman gets pregnant yeah right like or i don't know other stuff like that you know well i've seen stuff about like improving the quality of childcare and the availability of resources and stuff like that if that's actually the focus is on children being born and being able to live healthy lives and all of that kind of stuff pre-life and every child is sacred and all stuff like then where's the funding Hmm. yeah Anyway, let's, let's, we, we try, <laughs> so yeah, we've done pretty well not to diatribe there, but. We have, we've kept to a structure. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I, look, I think just, I mean, just winding back, you know, I get, I get frustrated with people who guilt and shame people around lots of stuff. I see it a lot in health setting. Yeah. 
in lots of different circumstances where people feel they should be coping in a particular way or they feel bad about the fact that they've you know made health choices that meant they've become unwell or something they carry this guilt and shame around when really mm. but it's not helpful mm. and probably wasn't even relevant yeah. right the way i wanted to end was to so in early 1989 when public debate about the impacts of abortion was ramping up president reagan in one of his last acts uh, as president was in he was anti-abortion he directed the then surgeon general c everett coop to prepare a report on the physical and psychological public health effects of abortion so you can sort of see the you know the mm. searching for something there and after coop conducted a review of the available literature he declined to write a report as the results were straightforward instead sending reagan a letter and then appearing in front of congress his conclusion was that Although the psychological responses following abortion can be overwhelming to a given individual, the psychological risks following abortion were minuscule from the public health perspective. So in short, there's nothing wrong with a woman having an abortion and getting through it okay. And that's a good thing. If you or someone you know are finding it hard or found it hard, that's normal and that's okay. Taking any guilt and shame off yourself for having an abortion is what's going to help you cope and be happier in the long run. Thank you for listening. We hope that it's been helpful and informative. We look forward to speaking with you next time. See you later.